Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring the aspect and perspective of horror in history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So as you all know, new month means new theme, with this month's theme being It's All in Your Head. And I'm starting the month off with 2020's The Torturer, directed by Joe Manco, starring Paul T. Taylor as Andy Brooks, Lawrence Varnado as The Torturer, Rob Hudspeth as Sarge, Richard Houghton as Dr. Campbell, and Lance Parker as Officer Smith. So for horror in history, I definitely think this is reflecting on like the mental health crisis when people maybe don't seek help or stop actually going, like they stop going to therapy um, and maybe try to do it on their own. I think it's also reflecting on how sometimes you're your own worst enemy, like no one can hurt you more than you can hurt yourself. And I think it's also reflecting on the idea of like not giving up, but losing the fight, which is something I will talk about later and get more in depth with. Psychology and mental health, we got repressed memories, depression, PTSD, survivor's guilt, flashbacks, unconscious mind, hallucinations, internal struggle, internal battle, trauma, inner demons, and the human psyche. Okay, so starting the month off with a guest, pretty excited about this, super nervous, as you all know, with my anxiety, um, and I apologize if I say your name wrong, I should have asked you how to say it, uh, Joe Manco, did I That's say right. that right? All right, so, he's the director of the movie I'll be covering, which is The Torturer, um, and anybody who follows the FFB, we featured this on the FFB one day, and as soon as I saw the movie, I absolutely fell in love with it, and the first thing I said was, I have to cover this movie on my show, so I always ask my guests, um, introduce yourself, plug anything, you know, like, whatever you're working on. Right Why on. you like horror movies, and then we'll definitely dive deep into the torturer. So, nice. Take it well, <laughs> my name is uh, Joe Monco. I'm the creative director at uh, Little Spark Films. We're a Texas-based uh, independent film company. Uh, we've been in operations for about 12 years, and uh, we've done a lot of short films, music videos, uh, promotional commercials for various companies uh, in America. Uh, and within the past, uh, since 2020, we've been really diving into narrative feature films um <clears throat> currently though uh, our primary project that we're working on is called death world which is a dystopian farce that uh is also going to be a comedic monster mash movie it's going to have monsters and goblins and Ooh. it's going to be silly yet ultra violent so name a you know try to find a comedic film with goblins that is uh just going to be as brutal as terrifier 2 um, so if you like movies like Terrifier 2 or Turbo Kid, Blade Runner, not Blade Runner. Well, Blade Runner is awesome, but, you know, Mad Max 2, uh, you know, Book of Eli, uh, Death World is for you. And uh, we're currently running an Indiegogo, which has about nine days left. And uh, we're a team that has a lot of tenacity. So everything we make, we ensure gets finished. And um, it, we finish, you know, all the way from conception to distribution. Uh, we have yet to uh, miss the mark. And, um, you know, I dare anyone to call me out on it. You know, things, <laughs> making movies takes time and lots of money. So Death yep. World's Indiegogo is running. We're trying to raise $111,000. And uh, we have 
some pretty awesome casts involved, and we're looking to get uh, even bigger names. Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Entertainment is going to even be in the movie. And uh, he, Troma Entertainment is also going to be acting as second unit on the film, shooting up in New York for us, even though the film takes place in Fort Worth, Texas. It will have uh, scenes that uh, round, you know, to showcase how uh, crumbled and dystopian the rest of the world has become. And uh, so that's our next major project. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I love Uncle Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. So everyone needs to go to Indiegogo and drop in 50 cents to $25,000. <laughs> Help me make my movie so I don't go homeless. We're hungry. Oh, well, definitely. We'll, we'll <laughs> make sure to put a. Send me a link and I'll make sure to put that in with when I post for the episode. Definitely. Oh, let's get definitely. help. Let's definitely we'll get people to help out. We all Yeah. Like hey, I Peter, said, I mean, every dollar counts. Every dollar counts. You know, Dread Central has even plugged the movie for us. They did an amazing review. Uh was it an article? They did an amazing shout out for us, a whole a whole uh, spread on Death World for us. And then uh Peter Atkins, writer of uh Wishmaster and Hellraiser two, three, and four, even has been helping try to push the project to uh, you know, get it out there. And he's not even involved. He just loves little spark films because, you know, we're hell, we're Hellraiser fans and, you know, you know, and, and that's, you know, leading in Hellraiser is how we got our hands on the torturer. I mean, I I know this is only audio, but just. That is. I wish you guys could be seeing this. This is seriously really cool. I love Hellraiser and all Clive Barker from top to bottom, you know, He's amazing. That's actually, I'm thinking, um, I haven't 100% figured it out, but I kind of want to do Clive Barker in October because my birthday is in October and his birthday is in October. Yeah. So I figured that'd be a great month. So, oh, Clive is, Clive's the best. He's awesome. I've yeah. never met him, but I, I, he's definitely someone on my list to me. And I'm a huge Wishmaster fan. Oh, I, man. I love every single movie. Um, the second one's my favorite because of the whole lawyer scene. Uh, Anyone who's seen the movie knows exactly what scene yeah. I'm talking about. Wishmaster's great. It is really good. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's candy for horror film, for horror fans. That's all it is. I love it. It really is. Hold yeah. on. I'm sorry. My daughter yeah. stepped in a little early. You're all right. Yeah, you can have that water. It's fine. Step it over, please. Thank you. Love you, too. <laughs> She just wants to make sure she can drink the water that I have upstairs. That's all. So, oh. <laughs> so uh, definitely. Um, and we can do all spoilers on this too. Everyone knows we do spoilers. So if you haven't seen The Torturer, please uh, watch it before you listen, people. Um, yeah. I just want to dive deep because, the, I mean, the first thing I said, and I'll start with the ending, was as soon as I saw this, I was like, the torturer was himself. Ah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was it's... just, it really, and there's so much. And please tell me if I'm wrong. I sometimes dive really deep and sometimes maybe I, I, I'm reading too much into it. But, um, there was a few things that I wanted to ask first was yeah. the whole part when they're cutting off his skin. Is that supposed to be like a metaphor for like a pound of flesh for the people that he killed? Um, well, in a sense, uh, I believe so. Yes. Um, a lot of it is, uh, it's survivor's guilt. Oh yes. yes. It's it's survivor's guilt. So he he is uh, the lone survivor of this horrible traffic collision that we do not know as the audience if he could have uh, prevented it in any way. 
because uh, we weren't on the highway when he did it. Right. And, uh, you know, we have no idea how long he was driving. We have no idea if he took a break. We don't know how much fuel was in the thing. We don't know if it was raining. We don't know if there was an earthquake. Right. And uh, with the current state of things uh, and, you know, in Texas, at least, I mean, this is something that just recently happened um, here. It, it's happened in Texas. And I don't know about the rest of America, but uh, our governor, Greg Abbott, has taken away. He has uh, rolled back a lot of workers labor rights. So now it's not mandatory to give uh, workers uh, breaks in the middle of the day. It is not mandatory to ensure that uh, for their health and safety. And uh, a lot of people have not discovered this yet, but it is public information. And with the suppression of everything that's happening on Twitter, um, this information is uh, it's uh, not reaching the masses like it like it can. Um I don't know if it's a long con or if mm-hmm. it's if it, you know, with all these elitists uh, like Elon mm-hmm. Musk, you know, this is a big conversation I had with someone uh, just before I got on the, the mm-hmm. horn with you. But I mean, you know, a lot of us suspect that Elon Musk is taking Twitter on purpose. So uh, Meta can uh, create their own version of Twitter or buy it out. And now we're starting to see it with this new platform called Threads. Um, okay. You know, but as an independent artist, I have we have to do what we can. So yes, of course, we made a Threads account, which mm-hmm. uh, I feel come to find out it compromises our Instagram account. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so we don't know if Andy Brooks is uh, what 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 the entire story is with him behind the wheel. We just know that a car swerved in front of him mm-hmm. while driving this bus and. Uh, he was the only survivor and all those specters we see inside the movie, they're not zombies. They're, they're in his head. Everything that we see in this bleak, dark, fantastic void of a room is uh, his, it's his psyche and uh, the mental, he he probably had mental health issues before uh, he ever had the traffic collision. So yeah, it's, it's him uh, punishing himself. You know, what does he need to do to himself to say he's sorry for the loss of all these people that are all their own universes and worlds? They These are people that are children, mm-hmm. uh, that are parents or grandparents. These are people that work at hospitals. You know, this is, a, you know, maybe someone was on a motorcycle coming back, you know, from, you know, grabbing a pack of smokes or something. Yeah. Um, you know, he took the highway. And just, you know, because it was a little bit quicker to, you know, jump on the highway and then jump right off the highway to (laughs) Mm -hmm. skip the light. But, you know, that split decision made that motorcyclist die and he did no nothing to anybody. Right. uh, So these are the things that are uh, going on in Andy Brooks's head after he has survived this uh, collision. And, uh, yeah, what can he do to express his how how sorry he is to people that can't be alive to hear it. Right. No, that makes it definitely in survivor's guilt. The thing about survivor's guilt too, is it break, it can break off into other things. It's almost like, at least when I was watching, it was almost like not just survivor's guilt, but now it's leaded, leaded, led into some depression for him, which has led maybe almost like he has PTSD from mm-hmm. the experience. So like not eating, you said the human psyche, which I love Freud. So my, I went to the unconscious mind. I feel like every time when I'm watching him, it's like he's trying to repress the memories in a way because he keeps saying, like, I don't remember. I don't know. 
every time right. the torturer asks him a question, it's almost like he's it, he's trying to repress those memories in order to move forward, but that's not going to help you move forward. The more you well, repress, the more you're going to live in your own hell and your unconscious mind is going to hold those. And eventually it starts to bubble up. And that's what it seems to be happening is like, yeah, he was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, and repression isn't something people do on purpose, but sometimes, I don't know. I just, well, the torture can lead to different things. The, the torture straight up says to him, yeah. you don't want to remember. Exactly. And you know, it's like, you know, when a little kid, you know, does something wrong and their parents are asking him, well, why'd you do that? And the kid goes, I don't know. I don't know why I broke the window. I don't know why I why I punched the guy in the face. I don't know why I tied their shoelaces together. Right. And uh, it, it's it's like one of those things. A little kid doesn't have the vocabulary to yeah. express why they did something. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when when a parent sits back and listens to a child uh, and teaches them the vocabulary and how to mm-hmm. string the words together and make them more articulate. Then a child has the ability to, ex, you know, explain themselves in a way that makes sense to not only the grown up but to themselves. Now with Andy Brooks, he doesn't want to remember because it's the worst thing ever. You know, it's like there's people in the military that relish in what they've done, mm-hmm. and then there's and it's it's very little. There's very few people, and. Uh, you know, those 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 are the kind of people that are scary. There's scary people everywhere. I'm not dogging on the military. I have military family. But there's people Same from here. the military, like my brother-in-law, who I, I, I don't know if it's because I'm not a therapist or a doctor. I'm an artist. But he truly can't remember because, you know, he went to Iraq. My grandfather, uh, he fought in World War II. He was in Sicily. He was in Africa. He wow. killed Nazis. He, you know, was essentially Indiana Jones to me. And, you know, he even had a Gestapo in his sights one day, one time, but he was given the order not to fire. Um, But Grandpa, before he passed away, he passed away at 100 years old, uh, not this past February, but last year in 2021, wait, 2022, he passed away in February 2022. And um, he, uh, you know, whenever he would tell stories, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, he would tell stories. He didn't want to tell me everything because I was a little kid. As I got older, more stories started coming out. But as he started getting closer to the age of 100, those stories stopped becoming coherent and started becoming stares. Mm -hmm. And I did not like that this is where my grandfather's mind would go because it was such a traumatic event for him. World War II is a traumatic event for yeah. everybody on the globe. But this mm-hmm. one man, my grandpa, who survived, um, you know, and he went, you know, he a lot of the stories that he told me just made me laugh my ass off because it was like, wow, grandpa, you survived because you were hungry and you wanted to go get eggs <laughs> or you need to go use the restroom. So you built yourself a foxhole and you dodged a fucking cannon. Uh, but wow. you know, some of these stories are hilarious, but, you know. The, the the trauma that he endured, I, you know, it's it's something that I don't think people can get away with. And we truly don't know everything the human brain can do. Uh, no. <laughs> there, there are people that have suppressed traumatic experiences in their heads and they don't remember that they ever happened to them. But the nightmares come back. Yes. And uh, the flashbacks. And, and we yeah. don't realize that their nightmares are flashbacks. We think mm-hmm. that. We, we think that they're just 
you know, bad visions. And at the first, during the first three, you know, the first three quarters of the torture, Andy Brooks just thinks these are, you know, he doesn't know what is happening. He truly believes he's been captured. He's created yeah. this, he's created this, uh, entity in his head to justify the pain he is enduring himself and but when the specters show up maybe things start clicking in his head more because you know familiar faces the last face that these people saw was his and they're stuck with him and he can't he, he can't uh figure out is this a nightmare or am I back on the highway stuck in the bus? Yeah. My favorite part actually is when, um, and I wrote it down too, when Andy says, how do you know all this about me when I don't? And the torture says, you know the answer to that too. I don't okay. know why I love that line so much, but it's like, it just hit me know. like, oh, that's kind of when like I figured out like, there's something more going on. This like that's I think for me, that's where I kind of realized something's going on in his head and that's almost like his, conscience is talking to him while he's trying to be while he's repressing the memories and he's stuck in his own mind in his own personal hell really right and the torture is almost like i said like it's supposed to be like his little jiminy cricket kind of (laughs) talking to him but it's just something about that line of like you know the answer that too i was just like ooh, that's good like i really just it blew it blew me away and it always is like one line one little piece that makes me go ah that was amazing. And that's where I started. For me, that's where I started kind of piecing some stuff together. I, I, it took me a little while. I didn't think, I didn't know it was in his mind, but I knew something was going on up there with the people <laughs> after I heard that line. And I was like, okay, I'm like, I got to figure this out before the movie's over. <laughs> I didn't figure it out to the end, of course, like everyone else, but I was literally trying. I'm like, I know there's something more going on mm. than what's on the surface, which is the whole point of my show is like, peel back those layers. There's so much more going on underneath. Yeah. Than what's well, what you're really seeing. Yeah. Well, the torture is based off a short story called The Torture, and it is uh, available in a book called Nail Biters, written by Paul Kane. He, Paul Kane is the author of the story and the screenplay. Okay. And and um, you know because of Hellraiser, he saw we made um we made commercials for uh, a company called Pyramid Gallery, and uh, you know and they make uh, novelty lament configuration boxes as music boxes so we made 13 commercials called the hellbound laments featuring several different boxes all different themes and styles uh each plays different music and uh, so we made hellraiser commercials which are our fan films essentially but when we did uh for paul kane's book sherlock holmes and the servants of hell excuse me uh sherlock holmes and the servants of hell sherlock holmes finds a lament configuration goes to hell and fights cenobites it's an amazing book if you're like an uber Clive Barker fan because Paul Kane is one of Barker's good friends and uh, he has been said to be uh, the foremost Hellraiser expert. So that's why he was you know, given permission to make this book. Also, he was already doing Sherlock Holmes books in England. So he saw that and he said, hey, here's my script of torture. I love what you did with the, the my my book commercials, which is what he ended up calling them, uh, you know, option the script. Well, from there, after we got the rights to the torture and you know, over time, we, we made the movie, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered that there is more torturer than meets the eye. Eh. Um, but, <laughs> I see um, what you did there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so apparently, I haven't read any of their other stories yet. But um, 
the torturer does reappear, uh, reappear in other stories um, that I believe Paul Kane has released uh, recently. Uh, well, but the thing is, is that the torturer is a different person. He's a different, he's different to everybody. And he, uh, and I really want to, I really want to read these other stories that Kane has written. And hopefully, you know, since, you know, I, I made the, the first one legally, those stories have to come by me first. Uh, well, that'd be cool, Steve. You can make a series out of it and yeah, do yeah. more torture. I'd love to see more. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to reread the contract, but also Paul Kane's a great guy and we have a good relationship. So I could probably just be like, hey, brother, can I go ahead and get, get those other ones and make them? Um, but the torture, from my understanding, is different from it to everybody. And he is your own, um, he is your own uh, ego. Uh, or is it ego or id? One of them. He's trying to uh, to uh, make you realize what you did was wrong. You know, probably ego, ego, uh, its instincts, ego's reality, super ego's morality. There you go. That's how I remember them. (laughs) So yeah, so it sounds like he's a super ego. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like I said, I haven't read the other stories yet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've been focusing on Death World and other things, and yeah, um, you know, pushing uh, all our old projects that are now in trauma now. Uh, but I would definitely love to get my hands on those stories and uh, ela- elaborate uh, on them and make them gr- more grand. You know, they're short stories. So that's why the torture is only 40 minutes long instead of a feature length. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, the torture only costs us about give or take ten to twelve thousand dollars and to make. And um, we wanted to make it bigger and add more to it. That wasn't originally in the script, but. It would have pushed us over the edge into a feature territory, but that would, and for how low of a budget it already was, it would have been a great feature. It would have been a great feature. It could be a pilot. Yeah. It could be, which would give us the outlet to make more of the Paul Kane stories, uh, and we would probably call it nail biters. Um, but I believe that the torture uh, is something within everybody. And yeah, your super ego, and he is trying. That person is how you envision him. In reality, it's you trying to fix what you did wrong to making it right in the best way your brain can possibly figure it out. Because my brain is different from yours. My brain is different from my wife's, my kids, my best friends, my teachers. And if I was put in that situation of Andy Brooks, I would most likely have survivor's guilt. I don't think I would have tortured myself in the way of the blade. Uh, I, I, I don't know how I would have handled it, but I do know I would probably have my own torturer eating at me, telling me, uh, that this is, uh, not what was supposed to happen. And, you know, suicide is not a funny subject. And, uh, Andy Brooks clearly felt that the only way to make right was to, uh, torture and kill himself. It's like an eye, an eye for an eye. Exactly. You know, it's barely, um, and I don't mind talking about this because I talk about everything. A lot of times I think what people don't understand with suicide is that it's not about death. It's about the pain. Um, I attempted it a couple of times in my life. I hit that point and it wasn't, so it's not, in, a, in a way I felt what Andy was feeling. Cause I'm like, I've, I've been there. I know exactly what your mind is going through. It's not so much like I need to die. It's about, I have to get rid of this pain. And exactly. that's kind of like what it seems like he was doing while he's torturing himself. It's like, 
trying to take care of the pain he's feeling from that survivor's guilt from what he's done. Right. And like you said, everyone has a torture. We all have someone, that little voice in our head that's telling us stuff or making you think or, and in general, I think the torture can also just represent mental illness in general, you it know, can. you can. know, like anxiety and depression and bipolar it... disorder, there's body dysmorphic disorder, you know, all these different things that eat away at people and every day is a, a battle. Oh, you know, yeah. in your brain, you know, to push through and make it through the day when you're battling something in your own head. So, right. If that makes yeah. sense, sorry. Well, everyone deals with it, you know, from a, a kid dealing with uh, not finishing their homework or, you know, going through a breakup in school yep. to, you know, grownups who lost their job or had a fender bender, you know, just it doesn't matter what level you're on, you know, even though those sound little. There, you know, the smallest thing can be, you know, some people can turn molehills into mountains. Yes. And other people like do deal with serious depression and have no earthly idea why they're depressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it, it all has to do with our chemical balances and uh, how we handle things, how we were raised as children. Uh, we're pro- we're all 100% of us are products of our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who uh, are part of the white, who are white nationalists who are racist. They didn't wake up one day and just decide that they were raised that way. People who grew up to be astronauts and progressive. Uh, they, they, uh, that was something that they fought for, but they were raised to have the tenacity to move mm-hmm. towards that goal. Teachers, firefighters, you know, yeah. it takes a special person to want to be an EMT ambulance driver or a mm-hmm. firefighter or a teacher. And I applaud them because no fucking way in hell would I ever run into a fire because only crazy people would do that. And some people genuinely uh, are driven to that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, everybody's absolutely different. And uh, you know, Andy Brooks, he, I don't think he wanted to grow up to be a bus driver. It was probably the, the situation uh, of his life, Um, you know, having all those people's lives in his hand was not something he ever looked forward to Mm -hmm. uh, ever asked for. That was just a job for him. He clearly, you know, at the end of the movie, we see his house. He has a garage, a big garage filled with lots of things. He might've been retired. We don't know. He might've been a war veteran. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of things that we don't know about Andy Brooks, but, Based on, you know, how he was raised with by his parents, based on what his life situations are, uh, he was alone for several days, locked in that garage, dot, yeah. dead, you know, refilling the place up with 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 stank. And mm. uh, no one knew he was gone, which tells me he was a, a single man. Maybe he was divorced. He was a divorcee or he was a widower. Yeah. But he was all alone dealing with the this trauma. And, uh, yeah, he, and he suffered with it for a while, you know, because, uh, the detectives and the doctor that found him, the, the therapist that found him said that he, uh, he had been dealing with it for a while and he could never get over it. And he blamed himself. Yeah. Yeah. He blamed yeah, himself. Yeah. No, I feel, yeah, I just, yeah, I feel bad for Andy to be alone. Cause I always say the, the worst thing in the world is to be going through something, some kind of trauma and feeling absolutely alone. Right, is right. one of the worst things. Not that you want other people to ex- to go through what you're going through, but it's always nice to have someone who who can actually relate 
and and make you not feel alone at the same time. Because I'm always saying that I'm like, that's the worst feeling is you're dealing with something and you feel so alone in this world. And that's how Andy felt. It seems yeah. like he just couldn't make a connection with someone who knew what he was going through, mm-hmm. you know, like support groups and things like that. I actually, um, my, um, my dad kind of has survivor's guilt. My mom, we lost my mom to cancer in 2018, but he had cancer and he survived it. And I remember him saying like, why her and not me? And I said, you know, dad, that's, I can't answer that. You know, that's something you got to talk because he's very religious. I'm like, you have to talk to the man upstairs about that. But I'm like, I don't know, but he, he dealt with it for a while, but he found support groups for people who have lost their spouses. And that's, what helped him through it. So I just feel like I feel bad for Andy. Cause I'm like, was there a support group out there? Was there something like, or just, he felt so alone that maybe he felt he deserved to be alone. If, I mean, in, unless you're a, you know, a billionaire elitist, everybody needs a support group. Yeah. If you're loaded, people are going to flock to you and be around you. And you'll always have that, you know, that entourage, but mm-hmm. no, I mean, um, pretty much, you know, normal people, artists you know firefighters teachers we all need we all need support groups um even the most of arrogant people do uh because you know there's a reason uh everybody is a batshit and you know we all i mean the entire planet suffered a massive trauma uh in 2020 with uh, the coronavirus yeah and uh you know a lot of people didn't want to wear masks uh coronavirus is still going on today a lot of people still don't want to wear masks but you know the president said that the 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 pandemic is over but you know once again back to twitter suppression yeah no the the information's there but it's suppressed you got to go hunt for it yeah you know uh there's you know there's strains galore Uh, a lot of people that weren't able to survive uh have died you know, more than the flu. And, you know, a lot of people like mm-hmm. to say the flu was a thing, you know, that uh, was just as bad as Corona, but now Corona was worse. And yeah. a lot of people now have long COVID. And uh, I've noticed some people acting a lot more strange, uh, walking backwards, talking funny. Uh, mm-hmm. They have weird ticks now, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, if some people say, oh, well, if a tick is the worst thing you can get from Corona, then what the hell? And I'm like, well, I would much rather not have my neck twitching every five seconds, eventually leading to Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it affects everybody differently. Um, but yeah, we all suffer through trauma and a lot of people just made fun of it. And those are yeah. people that are proud to be misanthropists. Um, and they don't believe in, uh, they don't believe in the, the support of trauma survivors. They believe that, uh, you, you know, one must pull themselves up by their bootstraps and then go and, uh, take care of themselves and grow some balls, but not everybody's capable of that. I mean, no. everyone has their dark moments. And uh Yeah, the whole suck it up attitude is kinda like, no, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it, it's just it doesn't work that way for everyone, no matter how tough, you know, the others think they are. Uh, I mean, I've had my bad times too, and you know, people get stuck in their head. And when you're an artist, it, it sometimes it happens even worse because you know we're you know, are we neurodivergent? Are we ADHD? I mean, how many of us are actually on the spectrum going undiagnosed? Yeah. Uh, you know, very true. So, you know, that's, that's how it, that's just, that's just life. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're right. You're, no, you're hitting, you're, you're saying everything. You're right. It's just, yeah, it's, we all have, tra- and that's the thing too. It's like, I feel like everyone has trauma 
And I really hate when people turn it into like um not a battle, but like I remember one time I They're competing for Yeah, my like I had a really yours. bad bout of depression cuz I have de- I, I suffer from I have depression, anxiety, panic disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, paranoia, like I have all these disorders and I remember I was in a very bad low and someone was like, "Really? Like that's all it is? You're just sad?" And then went on about something they dealt with. And I said, look, like, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Like, I really can't relate because I have no idea what that's about. I'm like, well, obviously you can't relate to what I'm going through either. And why we turn this into a competition? Everyone has trauma and everyone's dealing with stuff. Can we just be compassionate and maybe help each other? And that's the other thing is like, that's all, maybe that's all Andy needed too, is just someone to be compassionate towards him and maybe, you know, be supportive uh, maybe he had like you said maybe he had someone who was like you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and suck it up buddy like you know he probably faced that a lot i mean yep. he might have quit his job he might have gotten fired he might have been on work leave who knows uh, those are elements in the story that uh we we didn't get i i could have i had the option uh to rewrite the script and elaborate on a lot of things but i did not want to veer away from the story yeah. And uh, the text that was in the script, because the torture is uh, the first cinematic endeavor I've ever done. Excuse me. I've done many short films and music videos, uh, commercials, but the torture was the first time uh, we shot in uh, 6K res- cinematic resolution. So we used a red weapon um, camera. And we shot digitally, and the the red weapon is actually the same kind of camera they use to shoot Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's cool. And, and so, and then we had like a two ton grip truck, um, which has you know all the all the stands and the diffusers and all sorts mm-hmm. of toys that you can play with in filmmaking. And we had a whole crew; it was the biggest crew at the time I've ever worked with. Um, and we had still not enough money to make the thing. Like I said, we had about roughly ten to twelve thousand dollars. We had no marketing budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was a $12,000 budget to shoot, if I had a marketing budget, that meant my budget would have gone up to $24,000 and mm-hmm. that would have been the total cost, but we didn't have a marketing budget. So uh, right now it's all self-distribution and, you know, self-marketing. So, you know, people like you are, what, what are you know, helping us get the word out still on the movie, even though it's a couple years old now. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to add any of that, those elements, because I wasn't the creator of this thing and one of my beefs is being a Clyde Barker fan Mm -hmm. is you know your story going someplace that you trust only for it to get raped and Mm -hmm. turn out to be something completely different that you did not expect and I wanted with with this one project being so close to Clive Barker uh, Mm -hmm. with you know it being authored by Paul Kane with it starring Paul T. Taylor who played Pinhead in Hellraiser Judgment, uh, which is part 10 of the franchise. And, then, and I uh, actually really like that movie. Judgment. Oh, I, lo- I love yeah. it. It was, filmed, great. <laughs> it was filmed not too uh, far from here in Oklahoma. Um, oh, cool. I, yeah, apparently a lot of people I know were actually in the, involved with the movie. Uh, Damon Carney, who plays the main detective in the movie, who mm-hmm. ends up being uh, the preceptor at the end. He, yeah. has a sa- he, he owns and runs a sandwich shop literally two blocks away from my house. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I go in there and buy one of those sandwiches are great, too. It's called Tin Cup. And I go in there. And I'm like, thank you, Preceptor. And it's just like my little <laughs> secret. Because <laughs> those people that go in there are all church people. They don't they have no clue what Razor is. 
Yeah, but, probably not. <laughs> no, but uh, they're hardcore Sunday Sunday activities. Um, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, I just didn't want to add more to the script. I, I mean, I, I felt like I already added too much with the oil demon. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to keep it true and not uh, tarnish what had already been written. And you know, if more was to come out. Uh, in the script, uh, which he didn't want to change. He didn't want to add anything. Mm-hmm. He gave me the option. I didn't want to. So yeah. uh, I just wanted to be true to it and uh, try to take his words and put it on, uh, put it in on the camera. Uh, so it was a great exercise for my team, myself. Uh, I learned an insane amount of, uh, you know, just, I learned how to be a better craftsman uh, working on the torturer. And since then we've uh, been shooting, uh, in 6K resolution, and uh, we always use the red, the red cameras now. And um, it, it, I mean, beforehand we were always shooting on a Canon T3i, so it was run and gun, get everything done the way we can, the best we can. We would, it would only taken us three days to shoot the torture. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> shooting with the red cameras, yeah. uh, it turned out to, you know, it would have been. The way I used to do it, it would have been three days at, you know, maybe 12 hour days shooting mm-hmm. on the reds. It turned into 16, 18 hour days at five days, uh, a five day shoot. Um, uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to pay respect to uh, the words that were written and, you know, not underestimate uh, the audience's intelligence. You know, yeah, sometimes, them- yeah, sometimes leave it. There's I don't think there's anything wrong with leaving some of it up to the imagination and let people kind of build their own story right right around it like i mean i just for me i just saw for me i just saw a guy who was you know a bus driver he was in an accident he you know he was trying you know because he says i was swerving i was trying to avoid the car he was trying to you know not get into an accident right he gets into the accident which kills the other people and you know, he's just dealing with it and or not dealing with it really. Yeah. But I just, I just saw, I, I just saw a very lonely man who, you know, is dealing with survivor's guilt and just got more and more lonely and just didn't reach out. Maybe he didn't want to reach out or maybe he felt like he was going to be a burden on people or maybe he felt like, cause I, I felt like that before where I'm like, I don't want to be a Debbie down anymore. People I'll just yeah. shut down. Like I do better. and take a few days where I don't talk to anyone, you know, <laughs> and it's better to get rid of myself than put y'all out. Exactly. I, I yeah. Know, and that's I kind of that how I feeling. felt like more with Andy was more of, he was just, he just, yeah, I don't think he gave, I wouldn't say he gave up because I don't think he gave up. I think he just wasn't willing to fight anymore. Well, I yeah. I, just, like, you're, he, yeah. Like, you're onto something there because you know, the fact that he created the, his own torture in his head proves that, he didn't want to give up. No. If he wanted to give up, he would have just, you know, slid his wrist right. and be done with it. No, I mean, at, at you know, it, it was literally, I think, yeah, him. Uh, he just kind of lost the fight. Like, he just yeah. lost. Like, it, it, yeah, there's a big difference between losing a fight yeah. and giving up. And I didn't see him giving up. That well, it, at, In the end, which is the beginning of the film, that's probably the start of his the downward spiral towards his end. He's going down the drain right there at the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. Yeah. And it just begins to escalate. Um, and, you know, it, it sucks for him. And did, did the world need a movie called the torture that ended up not being torture porn? I don't know, but I mean, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm we what, did. 
I'm glad it resonates with some people. I'm glad it resonated with you. And, uh, you know, you're, you're not the first person that has told me, you know, that they, that they do find, uh, importance in it. And, you know, and originally when we grabbed, when we got our hands on the film, uh, on the story, you know, I thought I was going to make an all out, you know, torture porn movie and make mm-hmm. it as brutal as possible. And I didn't expect to end up making a slow burn art piece. Uh, Paul Kane asked me, you know, after the movie was finished, he's like, you know, the, the script's only 18 pages. How did you manage to make a 40 minute movie? <laughs> And uh, I, I told him, well, honestly, the words that you wrote on the script demanded a lot more attention to detail than I think you realize. And mm-hmm. uh, I did my best to capture that ambiance and show that. Um, so um, when making a movie, there's a lot of business decisions you have to make because you mm-hmm. have to consider your audience and selling the project and making mm-hmm. your money back and your investors money back and everything. But, you know, with Indiegogo, I think our first campaign on the torture, we raised about four hundred dollars. And uh, that was very, very disheartening. Mm. Um, but, you know, a lot of we we were we got a lot of good fortune um, and we we powered through and uh, we were able to find an uh, independent investor who was wanting to be more involved than just getting a return on investment. Mm-hmm. It was more about uh, creating the piece and uh being a part of something that was uh, more important than just making your money back. And I think the, the uh, people that were involved, like our DP, uh, you know, because of Lloyd Kaufman, we made a short film called murder balls. It was a fake trailer. And uh, you know, the DP, we ended up using uh, George, uh, George Victor Steinslaus. He's uh, he saw, he saw murder balls and he saw a lot of potential in what we do. And, you know, we always pr- prided ourselves in doing punk rock filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he wanted to have a meeting with us. And then when I told, explained to him that what we were making the torture and all that was attached to it. And I think what it was is, um, it was, uh, how sad the character is that really drew him to it because like I said, as an artist, you know, even your director of photography is an artist Mm -hmm. um, and he was really drawn to uh, the potential of what we could make as a lasting impression instead of uh, just trying to make some money, because I'm going to be honest, you know, there, there is no money to be made at all remotely. Uh, The only time a filmmaker gets paid is when the budget drops when the budget shows up and you pay your and you're able to pay yourself to take time off of your slave job to focus on the movie, mm-hmm. it's not a lot of money. It's always a modest amount because, you know, the money has to go to the screen, but you need to be around to focus on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Catalina, George, myself, we didn't get paid to be on the movie. Most of the money went to materials mm-hmm. to, to make the thing. Um, and, uh, but when we ran the second Indiegogo and people saw we were, uh, in post-production and we needed festival funds we were able to raise a few thousand dollars and i was like oh this is nice people want to yeah want to support the winning team here uh but you know it's a passion project yeah, yeah yeah and you know i'm glad it was the torture the torture was the one that did it when i was making it i'm like i hate this thing i don't want to be i can't believe i'm doing this i'm yeah. i'm sick i mean like I'm, I'm making all the wrong decisions here and you know and po- even in post-production i started feeling that way and i was in my own head and i I kind of just wanted to shelve it because I wasn't happy, but you know, I was being getting reassurance like, no, you know, you have to keep going. You have mm-hmm. to finish it just because you're putting the puzzle together. doesn't mean it's 
done when you do that you have yeah. all these other elements to consider and then once all those elements started coming together i started feeling more i started feeling better about the project and it started looking beautiful to me um you know uh the sound started coming through the music the score came in when the score came in i lost it i i when the score came in I felt like I was in a completely different world. Uh, the music is its own character. Mm-hmm. And uh, Taylor, Paragraph Taylor from the band Manifesto, he uh, he did all the score. And he, I told him I, I needed to be, it's th- I needed to be thematic, but I would like it to be its own character. Yeah. And, you know, Paul Taylor's a fantastic actor. He's a, he's a thespian traveling all around the Metroplex. He's in movies, independent films. He's a, he's a great advocate for independent cinema. And I hope he never loses that, even though, you know, he's worked for James Gunn and Robert Rodriguez. Um, he uh, he he really does a good job at getting it done uh, mm-hmm. and, sh- and showing emotion. I've seen him. I mean, he, the guy I went and saw one of his stage plays. Uh, I, I don't have the, the playbill around here, but I mean, the guy genuinely made me cry while he was on stage. And I'm glad I ca- we casted him for the role of Andy Brooks. Because it's not necessarily the dialogue that he's delivering, but what I wanted was someone where I can actually look at him and feel his pain. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, and he's a you know the the people mask. Everybody wears masks, and people mask uh, when they're in different environments. Yes, very true. And, and, uh, you know, Paul taught me a lot about being around in the public eye and talking to people and always smiling and this and that and this and that. And then I got to, you know, really know Paul when we went on the convention circuit together promoting the film. And he, uh, you know, I, I was like, man, you know, it's not just me. Everyone, everyone deals with something, you know, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Robert Downey Jr. or, you know, Freaking Steven Spielberg or, you know, the guy that's flying the next, you know, F, you know, fighter jet. Everyone, everyone has something. And uh, Paul did a really great job at acting in the movie because, I mean, the joke is there's the joke. Okay. So you look at Paul in the movie mm-hmm. and his weeping, him crying, him screaming, him him giving his emotion it's like you take the lines away the dialogue away from the actor he's going to give you a great performance in another right it's like when you go blind your hearing gets better or your sense of smell gets better you know you take the lines of dialogue away from the actor something else is going to come up you know tenfold and there was a part while filming the torturer you know um you know sometimes you know an actor will be in in their position at their mark and they're in character and they'll just stop and they'll stare and they'll go line, you know, and they're trying not to break character. They just need to be reminded what their line is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his dialogue was, I don't know. I don't get what you mean, blah, blah, you know, this or that, yeah. and, you know, Paul's standing there, you know, in character and he's like line and my, my ADs on the side reading the script and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, is that the line or is he telling him he doesn't know what the line is? <laughs> you know, so that, it was, you know, we still had a good time on set, but man, it was, uh, I mean, the shoot itself, the, what was going on in the story was actually quite depressing for the crew. But like I said, everyone understood and they get it, you know, 
it, it was the first time that people I feel that I worked with were invested due to the relatability of the script. And that's what, and that's what I think is important. That's one thing I think I personally love about horror movies. Like I said, I find it very therapeutic to talk about horror movies, especially diving deep into them. And I like finding things that are relatable. And I think for a lot of us horror fans, you know, we find relatability. Sometimes it's in the final girl. Sometimes it's in the hero. Sometimes it's the monster, you know, sometimes it's somebody else. But I think that's why a lot of us, for me personally, or most people I talk to, that's why they're drawn to horror movies is because, they find something in it. And the torture is right there. Like I I felt so bad for Andy Brooks and I felt his pain and I knew some of his pain. And it's like, I God, I've been there and I know exactly what he's thinking. And I think to myself, luckily I pulled through and then I feel yeah. bad that he didn't pull through. You know, but it's and that's what's important is getting that relatability for yeah. us and that's what I loved about the movie is like you're just watching it and you're just you really feel his pain and you feel so bad for him but you're also trying to figure out what's going on because you're like what is happening like did this what did this guy do what is going on and then when you find at the end you're just like ah my heart like just sank for the yeah. guy you know not, and that's what I said like he didn't give up but he just lost the fight well, and, not everyone has a happy ending no and it's true not everyone does and that's Unfortunately, that's life, you know, there's not always a happy ending. And I think we need those. We need, we can't always have a happy ending. So I think we need things that are reality. You know, we need to see these things. And that's why I let my daughter watch horror movies if she wants to, because I want her to enjoy them and find the relatability and especially we'll see ones like the gate where the kids are the heroes and the oh, kids are the doing something you know yeah like the kids are doing something like i like to yeah. do, let her watch those ones too and say like yes you may be a kid but you can still be a hero and be strong or be you know so i mean she's lately she's been into backstreet boys and nsync don't ask me how <laughs> <laughs> but she does watch the horror movies sometimes with me but i think yeah. it's important if your child's interested i never say push it but if a child's interested I say, right. let them watch it. Um, they understand a lot more than you think. And they might find some relatability and help through things that they don't want to talk to your parents about. Because yeah. I, even at seven and a half, my daughter won't tell me things. Uh, so Yeah, was, our daughter's uh, 10 years old. And, you know, she, you know, she, she's seen that living dead and stuff. Uh, you know, we, we do monitor a lot. You know, lately it's the insidious movies. Uh, but you know, found any, you know, found footage, not all of them, but some found footage movies and like Hell House LLC or something. Uh, I think Missing was on top of her list. That ended up being a pretty awesome movie. Uh, and I had no expectation for it. And then Missing ended up being phenomenal. But, uh, no, I, I, I humbly agree because, um, horror movies are cautionary tales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always like to say that horror is, you know, where the heart is. And not necessarily what is terrifying for you will be terrifying for some other person. Uh, but there is going to be a, a level of agreement towards anyone with anyone that is, uh, you know, these murders are bad. <laughs> um, and, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we're never stuck in these situations. And, you know, if we can get a couple awesome you know, if we can get some entertainment out of it, you know, that's also a plus. So I think that's why a lot of horror movies are starting, are, you know, becoming more funny 
they're having more humor humorous moments in them because sometimes the subject matter can get too heavy. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people laugh out of fear. It's uh, true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, it keeps the dialogue going and makes you ask, you know, what would I do in this situation? How would I handle the situation differently? Uh, you know, if you're like my wife and I, we start breaking down the filmmaking and go, well, this is really fucked up or this is where they succeeded. <laughs> and, um, you know, or I didn't see the twist coming. And then it becomes, you know, a mathematical breakdown on the structure of the project. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, you know, I like to I like to watch horror movies. I mean, when I watched horror movies as, when I was younger, I, I genuinely loved being scared. Mm-hmm. And then I quickly learned that, well, to find a movie that's going to give you the level of fear that you want to feel is virtually impossible. Uh, you have to really go in blind with no expectations and, uh, you know, genuinely believe that you're in a safe space to start okay. getting the element of fear that you want to feel. So now it's me trying to figure out how these gags and movies got made. And, um, you know, sometimes and then, you know, sometimes I get startled. Like I, I finally, because I mean, like I said, we're just watch, showing the kid the insidious movies and I've seen them all except the new one. Mm-hmm. And we showed her the third one last night. And I don't remember, I didn't remember any of that movie. The first two I remember like, easy yeah but three and four i i honestly i could not tell you what happened but i know i seen them and we watched the third one and i genuinely like kept getting startled like crazy like this movie is genuinely terrifying (laughs) me but i mean also at the same time if i sat down and just watched it now even though i'm it's fresh in my head and it's just gonna be you know a carnival for me oh this is fun shit. I love it. <laughs> I, I love watching horror movies by myself in the dark. I'm that weirdo. Ah, yeah. And I'm just like, and I like the thrill of being scared per, too. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot I like about horror movies. But yeah, definitely when I was younger, I just, I liked being scared and seeing how, like, what would scare me and what right. didn't scare me. Well, and Candyman psych- was the first movie that scared me. <laughs> yeah, we're all psychos in our own right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there's and there's a lot of reasons why people watch horror movies too. It's like, um, I've done so much research on it. Like they say, people with anxiety, it's good for them to watch horror movies because they have control. Like they can yeah. stop it, they can rewind, they, they can fast forward it, they can leave the room. Because when you're having a panic attack, there's no control, but you can control how much how much fear or how scared you want to get. You have complete control over that. And I feel that way about children too. Is I feel like it gives them a sense of self control um, because. My daughter was watching Train to Busan with me on the last drive-in. And at one one. point I said, I was like, "Uh, maybe this is too scary for you. Like, I think you should, you know. And I kept saying, close your eyes and this. And I stopped and I said, if I keep telling her to close her eyes, what is she going to do? She's not going to do it. You know, and she might (laughs) see something that scares her. So I just stepped back and said, honey, if you are scared, you can cover your eyes. We can press pause. We can turn the TV off. Like, you tell me what what you want. And I just gave her the wheel and there was a few times where she put her, you know, face under the covers or turned away. And the next morning she was like, that movie was scary, but you know, I'm okay. And I was like, I let her learn some self-control and gain some autonomy. And that's why I said, I'm like, there you go right there. It's a good way for kids to learn. And I think some adults like with anxiety, like me, it's a good way to get some self-control too. (laughs) did, Did she ugly cry when it ended? No, she didn't make it that far. She passed out like in the last, before the last twenty minutes. I oh, ugly cried at the I, end. I I ugly cry every time when the little girls in the tunnel singing that 
no. that song and just like every time every time I know. I'm, just, I'm just like oh like, look why at me you do this to me <laughs> i showed uh, yeah we showed okay so we show uh i showed her the the latest planet of the apes trilogy you know and she gets all the way to the very end caesar the the ape finally dies and you know she thought about it for a while she's like okay goes to bed wakes up two hours later bawling in tears can't believe caesar cried you know showed her train to basan she ugly cried when the dad <laughs> threw himself off the train to save yeah. the you know showed her the original pet cemetery gage gets hit by a you know the <sighs> 18 wheeler <sighs> nothing <laughs> nothing <laughs> me as a parent now i'm like no <laughs> yeah i'm still like ah and she's just I like know, it still hits me <laughs> she, I mean, yeah but yeah yeah, Pet Cemetery did nothing to her, but I still love that movie. It's one of my favorites. Has um, she seen? Wait, has she seen The Torturer? You know? Yeah, yeah, oh. she did, and she was like, "I remember when we were filming it, and y'all didn't let me watch it for the longest time, and that was it." And I'm like, "Yeah," and she goes, "Okay, <laughs> that's it. That's all she gave you." Yeah, that was that was a ten year old's review. <laughs> you know, her standards are pretty high. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Oh, kids, you gotta yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh she's... my gosh, that's wonderful. Just not wonderful, but just yeah. kids. It's something my daughter would say, like, yeah. Yeah, well, she's been around. She's been around for all of our shoots. She was there when we shot the torture, murder balls, uh, demon metal murder five, which is another fake trailer that my wife directed. I mean, she was, dude, wow, she's been around. She's been a part. She's, she's always on set with us. Yeah. She's she's a part of every production we do to some degree. She was on set with us for Death World um, when we did the proof of concept trailer. Uh, she went to, over to Yantis when we shot Vice Mares. I think she came down to Austin. She came down to Austin for two days of filming when we shot Evil for Dinner. Um, but yeah, she's she's always a part of our sets. She's you know for a ten year old, she's really got a strong grasp on um, the filmmaking process and what needs to go into it and uh, conception to completion. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, and she's even learned, uh, you know, I've been, you know, she's asking me about how we get on streaming services. And I explained to her how aggregators work and distribution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we've been wor- working with Troma for uh, since 2019 now regularly. And uh, that's you so know, awesome. She's, um, you know, she's gotten to know Uncle Lloyd. He's, he mails her stuff from time to time. And wow. they talk. You know, they they've they've actually spoken on the phone a few times because she like you know she she loves Lloyd and well uh, you know Lloyd he he loves us and he takes care of us and uh, you know he's got all of our all our projects um, all the way from uh, the black room all the way up to the torture which is I don't, I don't know how many twenty three Uncle projects. Lloyd knows what it's like to start something from the, build something from the ground up you know yeah but everything yeah, everything we got is going to be on Troma now. Uh, their streaming service, which is uh, four ninety nine a month, first month free, and uh, you have access to everything. everything. I'm pretty sure you... I have that streaming service too. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I have it, a lot it, of them. <laughs> it, well, Troma now is a great streaming service, and you know yeah. all the Toxic Crusaders cartoons are on there as well. If you want to show your kids that, and uh, oh, you know, eventually uh, our film Beyond Dusk is going to be up there later this month, uh, later this year, exclusively on Troma. Um, oh, nice! It's it's a ten minute short film we did, uh, which I'm very proud of, and I hope to turn it into a bigger uh, project. I want to make a feature out of it. Um, what's but the short film itself uh, has a lot to do with uh, family turmoil, but 
Uh, it doesn't express what it is I truly want to do with the project, which I want to make it essentially best comparable I could think of is near dark. Oh. Like Neo Western near dark. Yes. But, uh, but uh, none of those elements, those fantastic elements are in there. It's only the family turmoil. Uh, but I love Beyond Dusk. It's one of my favorite things. And if people could read the the feature script, that would be amazing. But, you know, that's that's down the line. You know, we have a yeah. few more stops to go. We have uh, we have two projects in development right now while still trying to get the torture out there. You know, we're we're, we're trying to raise money for Death World mm-hmm. um, on our Indiegogo. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to get done in some fashion. Like I said before, we're not going to let budget inhibit our creativity. No. And that's what we did for the mm-hmm. torture. If I want if if anybody says they can do the torture better, uh, go for it. Take the script we had and go for it. And then I'll sue you because you don't have the rights to it. <laughs> no, I don't know. I probably don't won't do that. You probably have won't you have th- the money. I was going to say, have you thought about with the all the other tortures, maybe doing like an anthology movie? Uh, yeah, that is something that would be kind of cool. That would, that would be cool. That, that is I something. Anthologies. <laughs> that would be something. That's something we've discussed, you know, uh, alongside the, the pilot idea of doing nail biters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, like I said, there's other torture stories and Paul Kane and I have played with the idea of moving forward with the concept, uh, except, you know, like it just all, it requires time and dedication yes. and locking it down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right now, you know, we're, like I said, I'm in the process of juggling two projects, uh, Death World and, um, another one that I, I technically can't make public yet. That's okay. Uh, I can barely handle one job. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we have so many jobs and we're ready to, I'm, I'm, my hair is getting shorter and thinner as I get older. I'm about to be 40. Um, I, I turned 40 last year. Oh, yes. yeah. Did it, did it hurt? Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even let anyone celebrate it. Like I turned my notifications off on Facebook at my job, like whoever has the birthday before you or after you something like that they're supposed to do something for you and i looked at the girl and i said you will not do a single thing for me Oof. and my boss was not mad but she was like i feel weird that we're not celebrating your birthday i'm like i don't want to be reminded i'll be reminded tomorrow the next day you can remind me i'm 40 <laughs> but not on my birthday so right on. Yeah. i was yeah it it wasn't fun <laughs> for me at no. least. No. well <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry a, i'm a single mom who's still in college and i'm just trying i feel like at 40 i'm still trying to figure shit out and i hate that <laughs> well you know when we were you know 10 years old when our parents were at 40 they didn't know what the fuck they were doing either that's true but, but it takes you growing <laughs> to this age to realize that so, yeah that like, they were oh, in the get- same boat as us yep. yeah <laughs> but uh yeah we just got a, we just got notified um um was it what was today today's friday yep Oh, Joe Bob yes. started like an hour ago over here. Um, so, but uh, we got notified uh, a couple days ago the because we were doing a photo shoot for Death World, a promotional shoot, and uh, uh, which we are starting to release all those pictures now. They're beautiful. I can't. Oh man, I want to make this movie so bad. It's going to be fun. It's not going to be depressing like the torture. Maybe it will be. I don't know. Someone will find something wrong with it. But no. uh, it's now it's now being streamed by Cineverse. Cineverse is a streaming platform. Uh, I think it's only available in America. It might be in Europe as well, or at least England. But it's in Cineverse. Uh, they're 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 pushing the project. Uh, 
And Cineverse also operate, runs and operates uh, the El Rey Network, which is uh, a network from Robert Rodriguez, which is in uh, there in uh, partnership with the FX channel. And they also run Screenbox, the new horror streaming platform. So hopefully here soon, you know, maybe we'll see the torture on Screenbox or we can actually see it on network television like El Rey. Um, so that would be com- totally awesome. And, you know, yeah. it'd be great because, uh, you know, Paul Taylor and Lawrence Renato, the guy that played the torture. Mm-hmm. So Lawrence Renato is in Sin City, a dame to kill for by, by Robert Rodriguez. And he was, he also worked on Friday Night Lights and he was also in Machete. Uh, and he's also in, uh, Breaking Bad. Several projects, but yeah, he's worked with Rodriguez a, f- a few times. Uh, and he lives down in Austin. And Paul Taylor, he was in uh, the first Sin City movie uh, with Robert Rodriguez, and he's also was in a Super by James Gunn. So, I mean, there's there's a there's potential for it to just move forward. And when you make films, you have to consider who's going to be the face of your movie because in business yeah. decisions, this is what the distributors they want to know. They don't, distributors don't have, uh, the heart and soul for artistic passion projects and, and what you can do and what you can get done. They want finished projects that look good, that have a notable face or are loaded with boobs. And if they can get, if they can make, get streams off of that and screw you out of money through their aggregators, they'll do it. And that's a big part of the reason why the WGA and the SAG AFTRA is about to go on strike. Because, you know, they're making billions of dollars hand over fist and that nobody's accounting for it because these are fractions of pennies that are coming through streaming services straight to the distributors. No middleman. It's not illegal. They'll tell you this at the American film market in California. <laughs> and, um, you know, and when it comes down to paying the people that uh, actually created the project, you know, since there's no accountability and literally accounting. Uh, and well, these fractions of pennies, they take their hand, their fees hand over fist and they make you use PayPal to pull your money out, which is more fees. And then if mm. you're not pulling in the thing and they, these platforms have to hold on to your movie, they dock you 30 cents when they're only paying you 0.003 cents. And, uh, so, you know, like I said, the torturer costs us roughly $12,000 to make, give or take, mm-hmm. but the torture has only generated Twenty three dollars. What? Since, yeah, it costs five dollars to to buy it on Amazon Prime or rent it. And uh, I don't. And Little Spark Films doesn't see a penny of that. We see uh-huh. fractions of a penny, right? And uh, we use FilmHub.com, which is great for getting your movie out there because the torture is streaming in ninety three countries globally. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, you know, the analytics show us, you know, how many hits we're getting all around the globe. Yeah. And, uh, it's mostly popular in, uh, you know, Europe. Uh, actually, Europe, Australia, and uh, I want to say maybe Eastern Asia, but uh, or Western Asia. But the thing is, is that, yeah, you know, we've only made about 23 bucks off it. So... Uh, when you're running a business, you know, put more money in. Does yeah. it really get you more funds? Facebook will suppress your advertising unless you're a major studio. There is no voice for the underdog. And uh, there is no voice for independent cinema, especially when Google and China are are spreading their censorship uh, 
mentality mm-hmm. globally and they're shutting down YouTube channels like uh, Troma's YouTube channel, which is 50 years worth of independent cinema and artistry. Yeah. So there is no voice for the independent artists explain, you know, that can relate to the common man. Um, so people that want to make movies to, uh, you know, make the big bucks or get laid, they're really, truly doing it for the wrong decisions. And the only way you'll be successful with that mentality is if you're already working in real estate and you have the capital to keep yourself afloat. They're all crooks. Sorry. And horror's built on independent filmmakers. It is. The whole horror genre. Like, that's what. It is. You know, like, that's the whole, like. Every like even like every classic horror movie is an independent movie. And they all, all we prefer them to be independent. We want to see our horror movies. We want to see our we want to see your vision come to life, whatever that vision is. Which is why us I will never say there's a bad horror movie because every horror movie ever put on screen was someone's vision and someone's dream and someone's hard work. Horror horror filmmakers have such tenacity to make movies that they'll even make movies that don't even look like movies and they'll be put out on Tubi and, mm-hmm. you know, praise Tubi and Troma for mm-hmm. uh, putting, uh, you know, anything out that looks beautiful all the way to the crap because these are people that have, that believe they have voices and they want to be heard and they want to show what they can do and they want to make something out of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the big conglomerates don't want to do that. They want to keep pumping us full of Mission Impossible and remakes of, you know, Disney princess movies that are all tired and loaded yeah, with, uh, you know, they're loaded with stuff we've already seen before. <laughs> How many times for different ways can we watch, uh, you know, the little mermaid? I mean, granted a lot of artistry and work went into that, but you know, you put the little mermaid up against the torture. Of course, the little mermaid's going to win. It had a cute right. actress and billions of dollars behind it. Mm. Um, yes. But us horror fans will always go to the uh, torture over the little mermaid. Thankfully. And what's great about horror fans is that they'll always support horror movies. But what sucks about horror fans is that nobody hates horror movies more than horror fans. You go to any Facebook group out there and there's just Are they really true horror fans though? Because I don't hate any horror movie. I I will say once, I will say that they might be overrated. But I will never say that it's a bad horror movie ever. And everyone's like, seriously? I'm like, uh-uh. I will find something I like in every horror movie because, again, I don't want someone crapping on my dreams and my right. hard work. Therefore, I will not do it to anyone else. There, There is something in every movie that I will appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I never realized, you know, when I started making horror, when I started making movies, my opinion, I realized, did not matter because somebody made something. Did you do it? Did you write it? Did you go through the legwork? Did you get, did you wrangle the budget and the cast? Oh, no, you have no went through to make that thing and props on them. Now, a lot of the times it's who you know and who you blow. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, some people can score a great sales agent. Other people can't. And sometimes it's the people that are the weaker artists that can move further ahead. But all, you know, obstacles are opportunities. So you have to keep trying and don't give up because a lot of what it takes in filmmaking is timing, talent, and tenacity. Mm-hmm. And if you have the tenacity to get it done, that's sometimes all you need. And what's the next step? Because no one's going to make your movie for you and no one's going to come make you a king. You got to figure it out for yourself and you got to go. And that's what we did. We didn't, we couldn't find anyone to buy the torturer. 
-hmm. And it was always some bullshit reason. And that's when I taught myself about aggregators and I eventually went to film hub and I, you know, did my due diligence to see how can I utilize film hub to not make me money, but to get my project out there further for more eyes to see, because Mm -hmm. sometimes eyes on your project is what's more important than a dollar sign. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if I make $180,000 selling vice mares, that's cool. Is anyone going to watch vice mares? No. In the end, it might hurt me because the distributor paid me that money and might not want to buy it again. Mm-hmm. Or they might say, hey, you made you you were able to get it done and we bought it. Now go make us something else. But we're not going to pay you as much because your last project didn't do so hot. Mm-hmm. Either way, I'm more concerned. Little Spark Films is more concerned with eyes than dollar signs. And the torture is a project that deserves, I believe, more eyes because even though it's not Terrifier 2 in the sense that it's as gory and violent, uh, and it, it doesn't have the same message that Terrifier 2 does. And Terrifier 2 is a way more fun movie to watch because it's more, it's got more uh, pizzazz and shtick to it. The Torture is an art piece, uh, and I'm proud to call it that now. And I wasn't originally, but I am now. And uh, I believe more people can, uh, more people can uh, find appreciation in it and give it the respect that I believe it deserves because I mean, the hell that we went through, I'm not saying is greater than any other filmmakers hell. We went through our own personal hell. Um, But it was also something that I think the first, like I, I said before, I truly believe the reason we were able to get it done the way we did was because it was a story that everyone from myself, down mm-hmm. to my production assistants, my grips and gaffers, they truly felt for the story and believed in it because it is relatable to anybody on any degree. Because let's face it, if you live on the planet Earth, you have depression. <laughs> or you're, yeah, or you're dealing with something. Like I said, we all have our trauma. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I feel that. So, um, so I was probably going to start wrapping it up if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I definitely talked about all I wanted to talk about, but yeah. um, I'm just really excited to be chatting with you and that you were willing to be on my show. And definitely we'll start. I definitely keep telling people to watch The Torture because it's really good. Thank and you so much. Whoever listens to this um, will watch it if they haven't seen it or more people will watch it and we'll just keep promoting it. And like I said, all my friends at the FFB crew will definitely we, oh. you know, they're did so it great. for our show and we'll just keep pushing it because it's a good movie and i think more people need to watch it and i, I would I love tru- to see more torture <laughs> i truly appreciate y'all and i i thank y'all for showing it i thank y'all for continuing to push it and you know if anybody wants to watch it if you go to our website littlesparkfilms.net uh we have a page completely dedicated to the torture and uh, there you can find every streaming service that it is on currently. I try to keep it as up to date as possible. You even have, you can even find where the soundtrack is available to purchase. Ooh. Which also the soundtrack, the score, uh, Little Spark Films. I set up a deal with Manifestive. The score, the 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 um, the money that is generated, the revenue is generated for the score does not go to Little Spark Films. It goes to funding the band manifestive and everything that paragraph Taylor and his wife Lilith do. It goes to helping fund their tours and their next albums, because I truly believe, you know, they deserve it. And we were, we're great, great friends. And, uh, 
their work needs to be heard as well and shared with the world. Um, but yeah, littlesparkfilms.net, you could find The Torture on any streaming service. It's, it's All the information is there, so it should be easy for anyone to view. Awesome. I'll definitely, I'll make sure to put that in there too for everyone. So. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you again for joining me here on Sinful Stairs Horror Menagerie. Again, you. I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss uh, horror history, psychology, mental health within horror movies. And thank you, Joe, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, inviting me on. Oh, definitely. It, this is a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. Thank you.